At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Good to be with you. Good to be just together as God's family and God's children. Um, As many of you know, uh, Pastor Rob shared that his father-in-law, Bonnie's father, passed away. And so they are not with us this weekend. They're there over the weekend, there was a memorial, and so I just want to encourage you, just want to start here and encourage you to pray for them. Uh, they're going to be making their way back today and, and probably be back sometime early this week, uh, but just want to encourage you to pray for them. And on that, on that note, uh, I just want to start our time together in prayer, so pray with me. God of grace, we gather before you today, and God, we acknowledge that this world is not the ultimate home for the believer. For all who believe upon your Son, the Lord Jesus, our eternal home is with you. And today, Father, we are without our pastor and his family. God, they are mourning the loss of Bonnie's father. And so, God, we, we mourn with them. We join our hearts with them, God, and we lift them up to you and ask you to give them your peace and your comfort for them in the wake of their loss. Come to them, Father, and comfort them. God, we also recognize that we have burdens ourselves. We have things weighing heavy on our hearts. But your word tells us to cast our cares upon you, for you care for us. And so we do that, Father. We, we cast our cares upon you. We lay them down at your throne of grace and ask you to help us. Help us, Lord. With humility, may we know your truth today. Amen. Amen. January 15th, 2022. Anybody know the significance of that date? Not a soul. It was the day that the Cincinnati Bengals, I know you're going to start laughing, there we go, defeated the Las Vegas Raiders 26-19 to to end their playoff drought. You might be asking, why is that important? Well, that win by the Bengals thrusted the Detroit Lions into the number one spot for the longest playoff drought at 31 seasons. No groans. Their past, their, or excuse me, their last playoff win, anyone, I was alive for it, 1991. That's right, when they crushed, yes, they crushed the Dallas Cowboys 38-6. to That was then. <laughs> and since then, to be a Lions fan has been met with disappointment after disappointment, right? Year after year, any momentum that we've experienced in victory has been met with agonizing loss, heartbreaking loss. The beatings just seem to keep coming with no end in sight. But now, now there's optimism in the air. Everyone knows the history 
Everyone is very leery about guaranteeing success, but it's not just the faithful fans singing the praises of the Lions. They're getting noticed around the league, around others. The the NFL, there's considerable hype around the Lions. It isn't just talk. They're the favorites to win their division this year. They've got four games in prime time, and they start the year in prime time against the Super Bowl champs, Kansas City Chiefs. Perhaps for the first time, there's a little woo there, I heard it. For the first time in a long time, there's real hope about the future for Lions fans. And while you and I can have some lighthearted fun about the Lions, let's get real for a moment. It can be difficult to have hope in the future, can't it? Even as believers in Christ, as followers of his, as his disciples, we sometimes see very little reason for hope. Ongoing health challenges, heartbreaking diagnoses, tragic loss, broken relationships in our families, divorce, death of loved ones, loved ones abandoning their faith, abandoning the church. All of this, and I haven't even mentioned things we see in the news, things you might see as you scroll through your feeds or your internet browser when you open it up, or when you even look out in society and see all of the things that are being talked about and celebrated. Evil seems to be winning. Open Doors International, a a nonprofit that tracks Christian persecution around the world, Last year, 2022, 5,621 Christians died for their faith. That's more than Pearl Harbor. It's more than 9-11. More than both of them combined. I don't know about you, when I hear things like that, I cry out to God, God, where are you? How long, Lord? See, this is the kind of tension that sets the backdrop in which John writes what we now have is the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is apocalyptic writing. It's filled with images and symbols. There's angels and trumpets and bowls and earthquakes and beasts and dragons and bottomless pits. I'm already exhausted. Mystery is everywhere. And there's so much going on in the book of Revelation that we can very easily and often do get stuck in places get stuck in these details and these images. We try to force something maybe onto the text or we try to fit them into our viewpoint that we already bring to the text. And the words of theologians Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart serve us well in this very moment. They write, God's word to us is to be found, first of all, in his word to them. If your desire is to use the book of Revelation to create some specific timetable where you can look out into the world and see all these events and say, here, that's this verse coming to fruition, that's this verse over here, then you are going to miss many foundational theological truths. See, the goal for anyone reading Revelation is to see the motivation for how we are to live in light of the end of human history. That should be your goal every time you open up your Bible. God, how should I live in light of your truth? What should I be convicted of, Father? What are you leading me to do in light of your word? 
And as we continue our series called All Things New, today we come to probably the most debated, the most argued over, and maybe even misunderstood passages in the Bible. But I want you to remember that John was writing to Christians who were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. An empire that demanded worship of the emperor because they believed they were gods. And at the time of the writing of this book, there was tremendous pressure on Christians. Tremendous pressure for them to abandon Christ altogether. And so John writes in that backdrop to encourage them to overcome. He does that by sharing a vision with them that Christ will reign in a millennial kingdom. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up with me to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to be reading in verses 1 to 6. You can follow along on the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible, please, please see the Welcome Center. We'd love to put one in your hands. But Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 1, John writes this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ. And they will reign with him for a thousand years. Amen. Well, more trees have died and books written about what we just read than I have fingers and toes to count. <laughs> Friends, much debate, much argument over what we just read. And I imagine you probably caught it or perhaps even already knew it. Or, but if you didn't, let me just speak plainly. The phrase a thousand years is repeated there five times in just six verses. It's where we get the word millennium. That's what it means. It means a thousand years. And I realize that in this room, there might be many of you who have studied this passage, passage extensively. And you're waiting for me to say words like premillennial or amillennial or postmillennial and then launch into some discussion about each one. Maybe talk about world events and how they might point to certain things. Well, prepare yourself this morning because I'm likely to leave you without a dance partner. I also realize that there may be some of you who have not studied this extensively. You've not devoted a lot of time to it. And if you haven't, you could be and might be in the best position because you have a clear conscience, a clean slate. See, the reality is that many people who have dedicated their lives to studying Scripture, and particularly this chapter, are not in agreement. They're not in agreement on whether the millennium that John writes about is literal or symbolic. 
if it's now or in the future. You may have decided for yourself that it's literal. You may have decided for yourself that it's symbolic and that it's not literal. You may be in a place where you just don't know. Well, all of you are welcome. All of you are welcome. See, there is a place for these discussions. There is a value in them, to be sure. But we should recognize it's not a gospel issue. It's not. See, the views concerning the millennium, the views that you have concerning the thousand years here, is not central to your calling or my calling to be witnesses of the glory of Jesus Christ. It's just simply not. And it's important that we understand that the early church didn't concern themselves with questions about the millennium in Revelation 20 like you and I do here in our modern time and like people before us have. The words of theologian Donald Fairbairn back up this point. He says this, The early church placed enormous stress on the return of Christ, the bodily resurrection of believers and unbelievers, the last judgment and the eternal condition, but much less effort to describe the relation between the return of Christ and the millennium. See, whatever your millennial view is, let me just encourage you for a second to just set it aside. Put it in your hand and just put it in your pocket for now. Because I want you to be encouraged by what John writes. If you look closely at this text, John's focus is not about the when. It's not even about the where or the how about the millennium. That should serve to caution us all when we want to hold our views with a white-knuckled fist and argue them to the end. See, John's focus is on answering the what concerning the millennium. He's focused on what's going on, what's going to happen. You might ask, why is that? Well, it's because his purpose is to encourage Christians to be faithful to encourage Christians to endure persecution by giving them a picture of what will take place upon Jesus' return. And specifically, he gives them two distinguishing marks of this thousand years that he sees in this vision. And the first is that Satan will be bound. Go back to verses 1 through 3. Look at verse 1. He begins, he says, John sees an angel coming down from heaven. And there's three things that really come into focus here. A key, a bottomless pit, and a great chain. All three of these are symbols of imprisonment. Right? The angel's coming down to capture Satan and lock him away. He's bound and thrown into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. There's certainty here. And in verse 2, John gives us a symbolic description of a severe or perhaps even total restraint of Satan's power and his influence. Look again, the Way to the pit is shut and sealed over him. And in verse 3, John gives the reason for this imprisonment. He says, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. This is another place where there is a lot of debate about the text. The debate centers around this question. What is the exact nature of this imprisonment? Of all the things we could say, I don't think we could say this means absolute peace on earth. Jesus reminded his disciples that in me, in him, we would have peace. But in the world, we're not going to have peace. But then he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. See, the Christian is guided nowhere in the scriptures to have joy in your circumstances. Nowhere. 
Your joy is personal. My joy is personal. It's in Christ. But what John does say is that this imprisonment is for a thousand years. And in the Bible, a thousand years, it's symbolic of God's time. And it's used here by John to communicate this massive period of time during Jesus' reign. And it's meant to stand out compared to all other periods of time. So this, this imprisonment here that John writes about, it's decisive. Satan's power and influence has been removed during this time. All of this points us to God's sovereignty. That God stands sovereign over everything. Think about it. God's messenger, an angel, carries instruments of imprisonment. Satan is decisively captured. He's not elusive. The angel doesn't struggle here to capture him. It's certain. Then he's locked away for a long time. He doesn't get out early. And even when he's released, he's released under the will and authority of God. Maybe it might be helpful to imagine what John's saying like this. You are in a boxing match with what seems to be an unbeatable opponent. And round after round, it's just it's blow after blow. You're bloody. You're weak. The odds are against you, and quitting looks really attractive. And then the person in your corner, he comes to you, and he says, hey, the judges just told me your opponent's been cheating all this time. And in the second to last round, they're going to make him fight with his hands behind his back. So just hang in there. Just hang in there, and it'll be all right. That would change everything, wouldn't it? That would change your whole perspective. Suddenly, hope would rush in. Now you have the advantage. Now you have the advantage if you just persevere. And so you rise from your stool, ready, willing, armed with the knowledge and the hope that you've been given. Church, you and I should be absolutely certain that persecution because of our faith is going to happen. We should all count on it. We shouldn't be surprised when it happens. But we also should know that one day it will decisively come to an end. If you and I agree that the incarnation was the divine acknowledgement that sin and death would be overcome, and it was, then the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the divine confirmation that Satan's days are numbered. And it is. See, our God is sovereign, and not any plan of man, no natural event, nothing of this world can foil his plan to redeem all things. Not a single thing. But see, the binding of Satan is just the first mark of this vision that John sees. The second mark is that saints reigning with the victorious king. Look back at verses 4 to 6 with me. John sees thrones now with people on them. He sees these thrones are symbols of reigning and authority. And the Bible promises that God's people will reign with him one day. It's precisely what John's communicating here. But look closer, because John sees three kind of groups of people here. He sees those seated on the thrones. He sees the souls of those beheaded for Jesus. He sees the loyal ones who didn't worship the beast or receive its mark. 
John says, I saw them come, come to life and reign with Christ for a thousand years. See, it's the faithful ones, the ones who have paid the ultimate price with their life, the ones who have remained true even in the hardest of circumstances that are granted this place to reign with Christ. And then in verse 5, John notes that not everyone came to life. It's just those who are in Christ. The unbelieving dead are excluded here. And then in verse 6, John communicates several specific blessings. Just listen to these again for the faithful ones that they would receive. He calls them blessed and holy for sharing in this resurrection. He says they will not experience eternal separation from God. That's that second death that he refers to. He says they will be priests of God and Christ. And finally, he says they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. And I think it's here at the end of our passage. John spending all of this time focusing on the what leads us to the why. When we look to Jesus' return, you and I as followers of his have every reason to have hope in the future. There's a certainty here that we can count on. We even have powerful encouragement to persevere today, right now. And as believers, we've not been called to be predictors of future events. And I don't know if you noticed on the screen behind me during our interlude from the time of worship in song to the time now of worshiping in the word, but they were words of Jesus. And they were a warning not to get caught up in times and dates. They are not what matters. Keeping watch over the condition of our souls, that is what matters. That's what Jesus wants us to focus on. And I know the battles that you face and I face against the powers and pressures of sin and darkness are very, very real. The sorrow and the sadness we experience, it's heavy. I don't want to stand here and advocate to you that you should just be happy when all you do is feel like crying when that's all you want to do. I think to do that would be dishonest. It'd be phony. It's not human. And so what can we confidently say then about suffering that we experience on this side of Jesus' return? It's a great question. And I think Paul's answered it for us in Romans. We rejoice in our sufferings, he writes, knowing that suffering suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. See, the pain and suffering of this life are meant to produce something in you. God is working in you through the pain and the trial that you experience, and God's focus is on the end result. God wants to do a work in you, but he first wants your trust. God wants us to be willing participants, not spectators in a life of faith. And so trust him. I implore you, trust him completely. Trust him to sanctify you, to make you holy, to bring you to a place of utter dependence on him. He wants to remove every crutch in your life. Everything that you might trust in other than Jesus. See, church, the wild, 
and imaginative, even inspiring nature of the millennium in Revelation 20 is not meant to frighten you. It's not meant to bring anxiety. It's meant to comfort you. It's meant to comfort you to the fact that in the fullness of God's timing, Satan will be bound and the saints will reign with Jesus. Let's pray. Holy and heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the truth of your word. That we can be certain that our enemy does not have the last word. That you do. You always have. There's nothing that can thwart your redemptive plan to make all things new. God, we count on that day after day, even though we can't see it with our eyes. Because we trust that there's more to this life than what we can see. There's more to our faith than we can, what we can feel and what we can touch. God, you are redeeming all things. Help us, God, to persevere in this life. Help us not to waver in our faith. God, help us to be strong in the Lord, not in our own strength, but in the strength you provide by the Spirit. God, we're counting on you in every way. We're counting on you for the days where we don't have enough. But we know you are enough. Your grace is sufficient for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.